podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro, podcasting to you from a field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Liverpool 1, West Ham 0. In the Premier League from Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett. Dave, that's a gnarly one in many ways. They had a couple of opportunities to uh, put us to the sword or at least claim uh, an equaliser rather. Um, but I think in the bigger scheme of things on the balance of play it might be just the wishful thinking of the sky commentary team i think it was a game that was dominated by the reds uh pretty much over the course of the 90 yeah i mean we had 69 percent of the ball 22 shots to their 13 but you would say that in terms of big opportunities they might have had the better opportunities you mm. had the Bowen one where Robbo makes the great challenge. The Lanzini one where he skies it over the bar. Um, Antonio had a couple of half chances. And I know I'm missing one as well. But they did create a number of problems for us. And, and they do that because, look, when you play a David Moyes team, you know a couple of things about them. They're going to be really well organized. They're going to be fundamentally sound. They're not going to make major mistakes. They won't beat themselves. They'll work really, really hard. And they won't let their heads drop. So even when you get that goal ahead, they don't start to panic. Like, we got a goal ahead. They started playing some possession football, just trying to calm themselves down and calm us down and take the sting out of the game before they started to rebuild. And that's twice we've played them now in the league this season. And twice they've done very, very well against us. They obviously beat us at the London Stadium. And I thought on that day, Moyes had a fantastic game in terms of his tactical setup. Today, I thought if our front three had just had a little bit more composure, just a little bit more composure, in particular Salah, I think we could have scored a couple more. But there was an awful lot of snatching at shots and wasteful moments in the final third that really let us down. And I think you could see it in Klopp as well. I think he looked frustrated on the sideline that there wasn't just that little bit more composure, a little bit more of a cool head to our attacking play. But look, we get the win and we have to be happy. They're a good team. Anytime you beat a good team, it's a good result. 
You know, the further that lad gets away from Taft's Tavern, and having been indoctrinated by my uh, other podcast pal, Jan Malby, uh, into understanding that actually David Moyes might know a good lot about the game, you have to admire what he's doing there. You really do. It's uh, uh, as you say. There's a lot. There's a lot of really good traits of that team that well, you can see. Consider where they were when he came back the second time. Yeah, they were team battling relegation. He kept them up, and I would say over the last over last season and this season so far, he's probably been a top three manager in the league behind Guardiola and Klopp. Like what he has done is outperformed expectation massively. And he's got a lot of good players there, but when you look beyond his first 11, there's no real depth. I know he could bring Ben Rama on today, but you look at the rest of the bench there, Issa Diop is decent, but he's a centre-back. Ariola's decent, but he's a goalkeeper. I mean, Mark Noble is washed. Fredericks isn't up to much. Masawak is not up to much. He doesn't seem to realise Alex Kral exists. And then the other two are kids. He's not working with a, a strong squad like we have. He is working with, you know, at times a bit of a bare bones unit. And even in that team today, there's one or two you wouldn't want. And he is getting absolutely every single drop out of them. And in all likelihood, they'll finish in the European places again this year. And that's a massive achievement for them. Massive achievement for West Ham to get back to back European football. That, when was like they haven't done that maybe ever. They certainly haven't done it in the Premier League era. Yeah, Carl, there's a, like like you say, there's a, there is a lot going on there that you'd have to doff your cap to, and over the course of the game, we'll find ourselves doing that by dint of talking about the uh, various um, events that take place over the ninety minutes, uh, ninety five minutes, as it turned out. Um, but you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said for sometimes old cliches because they're often that and they're often well-known phrases for a reason. And and one of the cliched ideas that I find myself leaning into very much is that, you know, if you are going to uh, challenge for a league or hopefully um, make it one of four trophies that you raise at the end of the year, if you're going to win that thing, you are going to have to have these kind of afternoons where, yeah, you got to ride it out a little bit. You maybe have to ride that look a little bit too and um, and just, you know, get the win over the line by whatever means. And it really started to feel a lot like that. I was tense in a way at the end of that game that I haven't been for quite a while because you did, I don't know, was it, was it, was a, it wasn't a lack of trust. It was just, it was just, it was just incredibly tense, Carl, because there's a lot riding on this. We, We all have this bananas expectation that perhaps we can maybe win this thing, you know? Yeah. And too, right. Um, you cannot go through the run that we've been on recently. And let's remember, this is, what is it now, 11 or 12? I've, I've lost count, to be perfectly honest. Games that we've won in a row, if you count a penalty shootout victory as a win. Uh, you can't just win all of them playing at 100%. You can't win all of them by three or four clear goals every single time. You are going to have to suffer, is the word that they uh, tend to use, isn't it? You're going to have to go through it a little bit. And you know, we all know that. We've, we've won titles and trophies and cups and even the league title with Liverpool. And it's never straightforward and you can't just do it without having any kind of near misses. And today was not even that, let's be honest. It was just a little bit nervy towards the end. Uh, you even look at 
Man City, who we've got ourselves a little bit close to in the last couple of victories that they've had against Chelsea, it was kind of the same after they'd got themselves ahead and they had to see out their end of the game. They were obviously under a bit of pressure and against Everton even, you know, it was only one nil there again. And you had to go through that last period of the game where because you've slacked off or the tempo has dropped and you've not really put the game to bed with the chances that you've had, they do sense that opportunity to sneak a late point or anything like that. That's part of football. That's what makes this low scoring sport more intriguing and more uh, potentially upsetting than it has to be on the balance of most of the game. If you do leave a little bit of an opportunity, there's always the case that you can drop points or on the other end of it, win a point that you don't necessarily deserve. We've done it ourselves in plenty of games before, but what we really have in this team is one, uh, a resilience mentally where we can just stand up to these kind of tasks, whereas we all know what eight years ago, nine years ago, we'd probably lost this game two one. To be perfectly honest, if we did, if we dropped off in the in the second half the way that we had done today, if we gave up the number of chances that we did, the counter attacks that they hit us on, the players that we had in place instead of the current group of players, we would have conceded at least a couple of goals. Mm. Uh, and the other thing, obviously, is that I think it's definitely worth pointing out between the game at the London Stadium earlier this season where they absolutely bullied us, and today. I think there was a, a few lessons taken on board and especially the back four were told you be aggressive and you be physical or you will be coming off. Yeah, I like that a lot, that point that you've, you've, you've led into. And one of the men who was aggressive and physical was Ibrahima Kanati. And this kind of ties in with the, the, the point that you've just been making about, you know, how you're going to have this on a long run because Kanate has yet to lose for Liverpool in 18 appearances in all competitions. I think he's got five draws and 13 wins. That now, uh, not to steal your stat thunder, Carl, is the longest unbeaten start to a player's LFC career since Ray Houghton, who actually managed 23, uh, which is quite an incredible start for him in 87-88 when we had potentially what might still be the best ever Liverpool team. Um Another man who's got a similar stat, of course, is is Virgil van Dijk. And he missed the shit show, which became the shit show because of his absence, if we're being circular about it, uh, where we did lose those games at Anfield because he just doesn't do that. Um, And these kind of bananas statistics, obviously the van Dijk one's far more impressive given the amount of games involved. These kind of bananas statistics only happen to teams who are challenging for big things. And that's probably uh, in and of itself a nice little yardstick uh, to measure our uh, attainment by uh, in recent years. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we I bring it up every time I'm on Raw recently, but we had that terrible run where Van Dyke and all the rest of them were out uh, at Anfield in particular, a, a historically bad run for us at Anfield. But again, since we got over that little blip, we haven't lost a game there, and that just shows again not just the not just the resilience and not just the quality, but also the ridiculous consistency that this team has, and it, it, it still isn't really appreciated or acknowledged as much as it should be in certain circles. And it's very very difficult when you see it up close and you see it week in week out, and you're thinking we've got to win this game, we've got to win this game. When you actually look back at the games we've had over the last four or five years at Anfield, and you see just how many wins there are in those matches, it honestly is it's lunatic we'll look back on it in 10 years time and we will realize we didn't quite understand just how good we had it with this side uh, certainly in terms of Anfield form at least mm. and today 
another one. It can't always be, like I said, a four-goal win, a three-goal win. Sometimes you just, you just got to get over the line, however it happens. We should have had a couple more goals today. But like Dave pointed out, they had their chances. They could argue that they should have scored at least once. And uh, if they had it done, if it was early enough, I'd like to think that we'd have responded because we really did you know, drop off the tempo and everything. And that's fine as long as you can defend well enough. And we've just about done enough today. The team that started for us, Dave, um, I don't think there's a whole lot of choice available to Jurgen in terms of, you know, we had a couple of key injuries. We we've gone from the what was it, the must have been a whole two days where we had a full squad yeah. to lots of people having niggles. Um and you look at the bench today with Jimmy Milner, who's not going to start again. <clears throat> Uh, Joe Gomez, uh, Ox is there. Curtis is back after his little uh, 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 injury. Uh, Taki, Jota, uh, Divock, uh, Queeving Kelleher and Harvey Elliott, who, again, I don't know, would he have merited a start? So you look at the lineup and you go, well, that's pretty much... He's the, his, his mind has been made up for him, really. That kind of team, I would have thought, picked itself, given the uh, available players and the recent form would you agree or no um i like you said i i don't think he had many options really in terms of making changes um we had some doubt over who the the left sided number 8 would be because klopp had said yesterday he didn't know if nabi would be ready and obviously carl upset everybody when he suggested that james milner should start there or could start there and sent me walking around for the better part of the day and a half feeling <laughs> miserable. And then I, I saw their team before I saw our team. I'm not sure why my phone decided to give me an alert for West Ham's team. And there's no Declan Rice. So I'd been worried about Rice running off the back of our midfield. Yeah. Because if Henderson's there and Milner's there, Milner doesn't have the legs to track them and Henderson doesn't have the awareness to track them. So I was a bit worried about just having Declan Rice. So no Declan Rice. I'm like, okay, we should be okay here. And then I saw our team and Naby Keita's in it and immediately just felt this kind of relief that, right, there's someone there that can give us a bit of control in midfield. I mean, the captain doesn't really warrant a place in the team at the minute, but Harvey has an since coming back. That's natural. Curtis has been in and out of the team. And if it's between Henderson and Milner, you'd rather have Henderson. So... That was the strongest 11 that he could put out. It was basically the team that started the cup final bar, Kanate in for Matip. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of what he had available, I think it was the strongest team he could put out. It was certainly enough on the day. Um, and I liked what you said earlier about the defence, or it was Carl that said it about the defence, being more aggressive because... I thought Kanate had a really good game. Now, he had some moments where Antonio got the better of him, and we'll get into them. Yeah, earlier, this, maybe. Yeah, There was this narrative going around on social media that, you know, he needs to be more aggressive, he needs to be more dominant. And I'm, I'm thinking, have you people ever watched Mikel Antonio play? Mikel Antonio is the softest tank you've ever seen. He wants to go out and bully forwards, but if, if the forward puts any sort of hand on him, he wants to fall over and claim his free kick. And because he's so big and so strong, referees buy it from him all the time. He won a couple of cheap free kicks today. Kanate in that first half was being really smart with him. Anytime he backed in, Kanate was letting him back in. He wasn't trying to bully his way through him to the ball because he knew what would happen. 
He knew that Antonio would be lying on the floor, screaming for a free kick. He'd already been moaning at the referee for the first 20 minutes of the game. And Jim Beglin fed into this. The, the, the coverage I watched of the game, I had the joy of listening to Jim Beglin for the game. And it, my God, like, did he not used to be decent? He did. He but he did. was absolutely shocking. He spent the whole game bigging up West Ham and basically talking about how Kanate was a little bit scared of Antonio. He was uncomfortable with Antonio. When Antonio knocked it past him down the line and tried to run him, and Kanate very comfortably beat him to the ball and then tried to shepherd it out and it didn't quite go to plan, he tried to claim Antonio beat him in the foot race. He gave him a five-yard head start and drew level with him. No, he didn't. Oh, that was, oh my God, really? what happened, like. That was one of my favourite moments in the match. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I just... And then I, I go on social media and at half time and there's there's people saying strange things about the game and saying that Kanate is playing poorly. And I'm like, what are you watching? Like, what is it that you're watching? The reason more of their attacks come down that side is because Virgil plays the other side and nobody wants to attack Virgil. Like, there was a moment in the first half when Antonio broke and got played in behind Virgil by uh, Bowen, and Virgil got back to him. So Antonio just kicked it behind the goal. Didn't even try and take him on. Like, that's the difference. Nobody wants to challenge Virgil, so they will attack the other side. The other side is also easier to play through on the midfield. Like, but people seem to take take that as, oh, well, Kanate is the weak link. It's not the case at all. I thought he played really well. I thought individually, all of the back four, Virgil had one bad moment, that header. But I thought Robbo defensively was outstanding. thought Trent had some really good moments defensively, good on the ball. The midfield worked at times, didn't work at others. And then, as I said earlier, I just thought the attack was was very, very wasteful and a little bit hurried in what they were trying to do, which was unusual because they're normally, especially Salah, normally so calm. But I, th- I thought I thought Klopp got his 11 right. I, I don't think he could have any real complaints. Yeah, it's a couple of matches in a row now. Um that Mo hasn't reached the high standards that he set himself. You have to be honest and point these things out when they're happening. And I, I thought he really struggled in, in the previous game and, 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 and again today, a little bit wasteful. But, you know, uh, again, uh, to echo what Carl said earlier on, you're going to have little runs like this in uh, any kind of a campaign. And to look at West Ham briefly with you, Carl, before we get into the uh, details of the match, um, you know, it, this this uh, lineup that... that, that um, that Moyes put out, again, to to sort of harken back to what Dave said, he didn't really have a whole lot of choice there looking at that bench, you know. Uh, Noble's not really a starter anymore. He's on his way out of the club. Ben Rama's there. Um, Diop, Fredericks, Masuaku, uh, Kral, uh, Okaflex, who I've never heard of before, and this kid Chester uh, alongside Ariola. So he starts with Fabianski, um, Dawson and Zuma, who was uh, comically booed for the entirety of the game um, for being the uh, cat-abusing little prick that he is. Creswell and Johnson, either side of them. Suchek, Flasic, Fornals, Bowen, Antonio, Lanzini. And he has a sort of very de- distinct shape um, with the ball and without. You can see what they're trying to do the whole time. They have a plan that's really identifiable. And sometimes when we're doing these shows, uh, you know, you guys are the analysts. I and I, I struggle sometimes to see what it is a certain um, 
uh, manager is trying to do. And when I put it to you, I, I've been gratified that quite often you guys have agreed that you didn't see whatever it was that was trying to happen. But you can very much see a shape with West Ham and what uh, Moyes is trying to get them to do. And, you know, it is effective, Carl. And that's an effective bunch of uh, Premier League footballers operating right at the top end of the league. And I suppose... Talk to me a little bit about them and whether or not you think they will, as as Dave suggested earlier, have enough about them to find themselves in uh, the European places again at the end of this season. I think they will in terms of Europa League places, because uh, we'd expect that will go all the way down to seventh again, or you know Europa Conference at the very least. But I, I definitely feel that they missed a big chance for to to go all out for the Champions League this season. Um, they needed to bring in at least one at the top end of the pitch if they want to do that in January and quite possibly look for a, another one in defence, which I know they tried to do, but didn't really manage to get over the line. Uh, no real issues with the lineup today, although I did think it was a a bold call, Cotton, as those of the meme world might say, to uh, <laughs> Manuel Lanzini at central midfield. Uh, it, it, it worked okay in terms of when they had the ball and breaking out and being able to you know, pass a couple of times down the channels and that, but it was... It was not not the not the best, let's say, at stopping our rotation of passes. He's he's a very talented player, Lanzini, but his his, his physical peak is behind him, uh, with obviously a, a little bit of an advancing age and the bad injury that he had. So they were chasing shadows for long, long periods when we had a, a decent tempo in the first half, especially. And the rest of it, it's just kind of what it is, isn't it? I mean, Fodenal's just playing off the forwards uh, instead of left wing back is a positive. Uh, Vlasic getting a start, but then not really having anything of the ball at all. Alex Kraus still can't get a game. Mark Noble not even picked. I thought he was probably going to come in when I found out that Rice wasn't going to be playing earlier on uh, before before the lineups came out. But no, I don't know what I don't know what the story is with Kraus there at all. That's just a really really weird non-use of him this season at all. You know, just to finish with these, uh, I'm. I'm watching the the dynamic and the the the, the basic the, the the real simplicity of trying to isolate Antonio and um, you know get the get Cresswell and Johnson swinging over crosses and stuff like that. It's it's not really rocket science. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, that's a really interesting point you made there that they could have possibly had enough to challenge for that fourth spot if they had brought in that another attacking talent and. You know, obviously, I presume Lanzini drops out and Rice comes in in their best team. Um, what sort of an attacker do you think would they have needed there? What kind of a player? Someone to sort of pick up the scraps around Antonio? Would they change the way that they operate? Would that have would it have required something like that, or would it be just someone who's like like we got with Diaz, who's good enough to go straight into the rotation? I mean, if they could have got a centre-forward who was good enough to go straight into the team, that would have been perfect for them because Antonio, although he's obviously their centre-forward now, remember, he was a right-back, a right-winger, mm. a wing-back. Mm. Uh, he played off the front man. It was only because they needed somebody that he really got in the team uh, as a centre-forward and he's just stayed there because he's done very well. But they don't have to keep him there. If they just signed a starter number nine, give themselves a bit of extra goal threat, then, for example, when they've now not got Yarmolenko, they've not got anybody else at all to play that centre-forward role. Jared Bowen can go there, but he's not really a centre-forward. So they 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 needed to bring in someone to have a, a bit of an extra goal threat, even like in this game. Who do they need to turn to off the bench? Not to create chances, but to actually put one in the back of the net. There was nothing really. I mean, out of the players that they brought on, obviously Ben Rama, 
he's a wide forward. He's more of the same of the likes of Bowen and Vlasic, really. Chester's he's a young lad, obviously making his Premier League debut today, and he had about 90 seconds or so, so he was very unlikely to get the goal. Mark Noble was only ever going to score if they got a penalty. So there was no goal-scoring option there that you could turn to. I know Liverpool's squad is, you know, obviously is a far deeper, far greater uh, in terms of expenditure than West Ham's would be. But we had Origi and Minamino and Oxlade-Chamberlain as a potential goal-scoring midfielder, plus Jota, who we actually brought on, who's one of our top scorers. So it's a world of difference. And I just think that if they'd have brought a one to even cope along against someone like an Arsenal, they don't have elite number nines. They got rid of Aubameyang. They have Lacazette and Enketia. They don't really have an Enketia at their side even. So even if they'd have just brought that kind of caliber backup in as a just an out-and-out number nine who's going to come off the bench and and just do things for them in the final third, be another option, be a scoring option or a real, uh, I don't know, even a target man that Moyes just wants to go to at certain stages or certain matches. Just something extra to give them a bit more unpredictability or just to pair two up top right in the final stages of games. It would have benefited them a lot more. It It probably would have been the difference of them getting an extra three, four points, let's say, at the very minimum, and maybe keep Antonio fitter for more matches because he does if he has to start playing when European games uh, crank up again now after after this this week. If he starts playing every three, four games, you're going to start getting hip and ankle and uh, hamstring injuries with him again because he's suffered with them for years now. That's yeah. the thing. And the second kind of reliable goal scorer is Bowen, who may now be facing a spell on the sideline. So, you know, you look at Antonio, he's been their top scorer the last couple of seasons, but he's never scored more than 10 in a Premier League season. Now, part of that is that he tends to miss bunches of games, but they do. They they badly needed somebody that could start instead of Antonio or come on and play with him or be an option off the bench. Someone that maybe offers something a little bit different, but can also lead the line in the same way that he does. Failure to do that, failure to add one in midfield. As we said earlier, like no no Declan Rice today, so Lanzini's in there. It's not a position he's comfortable in. And you could see it every time we tried to break, he was ahead of the game. So you were left with Suchek sort of sitting on his own with Liverpool runners going both sides of him and Lanzini trying to get back rather than already being in position because it's just not his natural game to sit that deep. So that, that failure is going to hurt them. But just on the on West Ham, I said earlier, when, when have they been in Europe twice? No, they've done that a couple of times. They've been in Europe eight times in their history before this season. Four in the Cup Winners' Cup, because they've won the FA Cup three times and they won the Cup Winners' Cup once, so got back in as winners. But in the Premier League era, they've been in the UEFA Cup twice. They got knocked out in the first round and the second round. That was the 2000 season and the... 07 season where they finished runner-up in the FA Cup and got in because they finished ninth in the league. They got in in 15-16, having finished 12th that they got in as the fair play team. So they didn't actually qualify for Europe. They got in because they didn't get booked. And then they got knocked out in the third qualifying round. And then the following season, they finished seventh. And they, so they got back in and they got knocked out in the playoff qualifier. So they've they've never even made the group stage of the UEFA, of the Europa League. This season, they've obviously advanced to the quarterfinal. West Ham, in their entire history, in the entire history of West Ham United Football Club, which dates back to the 95-96 season, and they became a football league club in the 1920 season. So over 100 years, they have never 
finished in the top seven in back-to-back seasons of a top flight season. Never. So Carl just talked about, you know, our bench versus theirs, a different world. It's a very different world even supporting them because they don't finish in the top seven. They're generally a mid-table or even bottom half team. Only once have they finished in the top half three times in a row in the, sorry, four times have they finished in the top half in a row. Uh, sorry, twice they finished three times in a row in the top half in the Premier League. Uh, top flights. We're always top half. Like we're top half every year. We don't even think about it. It's automatic. For them, top half has been quite an achievement. So for Moyes to finish potentially top six or top seven back to back seasons will be will be huge. It will be absolutely huge. And look, they're they're a very basic team in how they attack. There's no real hidden plan here. They're going to get it into Antonio's feet and they're going to get runners off him. That's the very simple, basic fact of what they do. Where Moyes is actually very good with this team is off-ball. And I don't mean in a set defence. I mean when they decide that they want to push you back when you have the ball. And you see them, and they did it brilliantly to us at the London Stadium. They don't have a high press, but they also don't have a deep block. They kind of control the middle of the field. And they do that by pushing you back as you enter that middle third they start to press up and they force you back and then they relax. And then you pass into that middle third, middle third again and they press you and they try and force you back. They're not trying to win the ball. They're just trying to contain you. They don't overcommit. They're very, very well disciplined on this. And you saw today consistently, we played the ball into Fabinho's feet and as he tried to turn, there'd be a man right up on him. And then someone would block a passing lane to Henderson so he'd have to turn back. And he'd play it back to Virgil. And the ball would come into Naby. Now, Naby's better at receiving the ball on the half turn. But he'd have two in his face straight away. One blocking a passing lane. And one putting pressure on him. So he's playing it back again. And they very, very slowly just work their way out. So they're not pinned back. We didn't pin them at all today. Normally, we pin a team back in their final third. And we just suffocate them. West Ham will not allow that to happen. They'll very slowly and deliberately press their way out. And that's the excellence of Moyes. That's what David Moyes has done to this team. They're not going to blow you away, but you won't hammer them either. They will make it very, very difficult for you to score a goal. You're going to need to be patient. You're going to need to work through multiple sets. And eventually you might find a gap, but more often than not, you don't. And we saw it today. We, we didn't create, other than the Salah chance early, we didn't create any big, big chances in the game. You know, and they're perfectly set up <clears throat> to spring a counter as well, as he said, with the ball into Antonio's feet and runners off. And I think it's, I'm, I'm struck by, listen to both of you there, ironically, in the in the Dodger days pre-Moise, Divock Origi would have been the person they'd sign for probably £35 million. Uh, that's probably what would have happened in, in mm. old West Ham. But, you know, it didn't today. Before we get going, obviously, it's it's uh, our pal Johnny Moss who who starts the, the game um, by blowing his whistle. Uh, he's a remarkable character, John Moss. Uh, it's It's... It never ceases to amaze. I think the vast majority of of, of football fans that he is, he, he, when they 
find him sort of ambling about in the middle of their football match, looking at him and going, this lad, how, 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 I think. And as I'm looking at him, Dave, you're a rural man. I know I've discovered or discussed um, something similar to this before, but, you know, a certain time towards late summer um, after crops have been harvested, you see the uh, the tractors and 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 uh, uh, grass cutters going in, and they're taking the they're taking the, the the remains of the corn, or they're taking the remains of the grass, and they're making it into bales for feeding the the the, uh, the livestock during the winter. And usually these bales are round bales, and they pack them onto those trailers coming away from the field, and they're heading towards uh, the farmyard to get wrapped up. But but sometimes, Dave, you know. Uh, one of those bales can can come away and fall off on the side mm. of the road, and you don't want you don't want anyone to have a bad accident because something like that you don't that's a that's a that's a little target you don't want to hit. You could do serious damage to a car, or you could certainly uh, cause an accident if it's sticking out in the road a bit. So what do you do? You go and you get your yours and your ma's and your dad's high vis vest, and you tie them around that roundy bale. <laughs> John Moss. <laughs> first half uh dave was interesting i'll stay with you uh we had that fantastic opportunity right to start one minute in that's within the first two minutes uh mo was put through on goal by a quick thinking trend who plays a free kick uh beautifully arced little forward pass um Mo's away, he's in on goal and as he's opened his body up with his left foot he fires uh at the keeper, uh, who I think saves with his legs and Mo just can't clear him with it. Um, three minutes, there's a little Virgil backheel flick thing from a, an in-swinging Trent corner. Um, uh, f- sorry, free from the left-hand side. Uh, probably should have been a corner, actually, as a result. Uh, pretty fantastic. Henderson threw ball in three minutes. Um Dawson does enough to block Mo's effort on that occasion, uh, and I was I was impressed. I have to say, just you know, for a little bit of counterbalance, that we often have stuff to say. Some very sharp, progressive passing from Henderson in those opening minutes. Uh, I liked that. It was good to see. He was on the front foot. He was trying to force the ball forward into proper little positions. Another chance happens in 11 minutes. Diaz is, uh, has a shot blocked, and then Mo shoots the rebound wide. And at 13, the ball uh, gets in towards Antonio. Um, uh, he is he has a half volley uh, coming down from the left-hand side. It's saved by Ali goes out for a corner uh but nothing comes with that 19 minutes another good move from us ends with a wild left-footed shot by sadio nowhere near the target uh, some lovely link up play by diaz and robo uh leads to a corner in 21 minutes 20 minutes rather and then a minute later than that antonio takes down a long ball really well drives down the left and shoots another good alley save leads to a corner it's a dangerous one but we deal with it reasonably well and then we are one up because the ball is in the back of the net. Now, again, you when you when you when you get a, a chance to run off here, please tell me what you thought of this. Uh, is Sadio Mane? It's a great ball in by Trent. Sadio gets there ahead of both the keeper and Dawson and sweeps sweeps the ball home uh, in the six yard box. Now, I, there was there was no joy for me in a, in the celebration. I was immediately, oh, this is going to go to VAR. It did. They took fucking ages and eventually decided that Sadio was not offside. It w- it looked like a very tight decision. Um, the way they were doing it on the screen, I thought initially 
it was comparatively clear. I thought he looked good. I didn't think it was, uh, but they, you know, they always sort of change it up then when they're when they're showing you a still for this for the slides and for the lines. Um, but you know, one one nil after that description of what happened in those first 27 minutes to a half hour i i don't think it flattered us um you could see what they were all about you could see the patent threat they posed through antonio uh, and his ability to drive at defenders but similarly you could see what we were trying to do and i thought that was a fair enough um balance for the first half hour to see us one up would you agree or did you think they had a little bit more threat and warranted a bit more no, I think you're right. I think I think their their threat was the long ball, um, you know, from from different angles, trying to get in behind Kanate, trying to drop it into the the channels for Antonio, and that that's really all they they threatened with in that first sort of uh, fifteen twenty minutes. We were a little bit frenetic in the early stages, and I thought we were a little bit out of control at times, just trying to rush things, no real measure to what we were doing, and then. On about 12, 15 minutes, Naby Keita really started to home in the game and started to just dictate the pace and get the ball moving in the right directions and get it moving to the players it needed to go to. And it's his involvement that makes the goal because it's his ball to Trent that takes out two of their midfielders. Trent takes the pass perfectly. I don't know if it's a shot or if it's a cross or what it is. I think he's just putting it in an area, knowing that, Sadio will will get in there, but it's a great ball from Naby, a brilliant ball from Trent, and Sadio alive in his new poacher's role, tapping home. I thought they made a bit of a meal of the VAR thing. I didn't yeah. think he looked anywhere near offside. Um, I certainly thought that they made the lines nice and thick, so that uh, it looked like it was closer than it was. And obviously, their keeper was throwing his arms up in the air and shouting, but. Just to rewind a little bit, I thought we already saw early signs of where John Moss was for the day because Salah was fouled a couple of times and got absolutely nothing. Antonio spent the entire first 10 minutes bitching at John Moss and really should have been booked for it. Like, they had a corner. He walked 15 yards to have a go at the referee. To then walk back, he should have been booked for that. That's descent. He should have been booked. But that was so weird. I presume I presume Johnny Moss had called him out to talk to him because it was so weird that he followed him. I thought he'd said. I thought he'd said. You know the way they they get them away from the yeah. Club. Come over this way. But yeah, Moss seemed surprised. We turned around. Antonio was, was. was still standing there, and then he goes back in, and like it's the shithousery of of what they try and do on set pieces. They try and basically build a wall around Allison, and hope that. He can't get anywhere near the ball. Antonio crouches over. Oh, I'm not touching the goalkeeper, but he's not going to get anywhere near the ball because I'm just going to be the biggest blockade I can be. Um, but yeah, like he, he, Allison, I think, complained on the first corner that Antonio bumped him before the ball was struck. Moss walked in and said something, walked back out, and Antonio just went wandering after him to have a good old moan. And he should have been booked because. Every single decision that was given for the next 10 minutes, Mikel Antonio was crying about something. And yet Salah was getting knocked to the floor three or four times and absolutely nothing got given. Yeah, yeah, agreed completely. The lad had no control in the game 
whatsoever at any point you'd have to you'd have to say and the balance of the first half was interesting carl there's quite a bit still to happen quite a few incidents first thing of note is on 30 minutes that um incident dave was referring to before we got started into the match details where uh canate found himself in a foot race with antonio and uh, again I, I don't understand any narrative other than what i actually saw with my own eyes which is i was just absolutely delighted that you know the their you know pacey forward tried to take on our pacey defender uh, to no avail because our man was was ahead of the ball or ahead ahead of him to the ball with with comparative ease it was i i took great solace from that i certainly didn't see anything negative in it whatsoever or that he was rattled or quite the opposite i thought but anyway following on from that in 31 minutes there was an incredible run by diaz who carried the ball for ages and was taken out. Dawson tried to take him out and got a yellow card later on for it. Then Zuma, um, feline abuser that he is, took him out on the edge of the box. Now, that leads to a free kick, which Trent hits beautifully just wide of the left top corner as you're looking at it. Um, Luis and Mo combined on about 37 minutes uh uh Luis Diaz has a, an effort uh cleared off the line the ball comes back Mo, Mo Salah tries to get a shot away but they get it they foil his efforts as well then in 38 minutes I think this is the one that Dave was trying to think of earlier on uh Vlasic was played in he sort of lobs Ali who's advancing um but Trent gets back to clear off the line brilliantly Ali gets up then to block the next effort as it's uh heading uh, goalwards and then the rebound comes away and Ibrahima Kanata gets in an excellent block uh to lead to a corner which to be fair uh, they get ahead to, and it's narrowly over the top. So again, that threat is alive. 42 minutes, another bit of threat from them. Antonio has a shot wide of the near post. And on 43 minutes after some decent play, uh, Mo tried basically to beat everybody. His pass sort of came back to him eventually. Uh, he tried to play it from left to right. Uh, it bounced back towards him and he tries an ambitious volley which goes kind of wildly over he kind of hits up and under rather than through um they had again to give to to, to give dave credit the, the, about the point he was making they did kind of come together after our goal in a way that didn't that suggested quite a lot of character and in that little piece of 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 the match that I've just described, they've had quite a few attempts and uh, posed a serious threat. But similarly, so did we. What did you make of that chunk of the game, and what stood out for you? Well, what stood out was definitely Diaz's run. Um, that was lightning. That was brilliant. We haven't had someone who can carry the ball not as directly as as Salah does, because obviously he carries it long distance and just runs in like straight lines and. He kind of reminds me when Salah's dribbling the ball long distance of like one of the old analog joysticks that you used to use on like sensible soccer where you've only got eight different directions that you can run at any <laughs> one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diaz is a little bit more fluid, if you know what I mean. The ball changes direction a little bit more frequently and a little bit more um, almost just like natural 360 degree turning almost. And you know, that run was really, really good. Very, very controlled all the way. Had a couple of moments where maybe he could have played the through ball, but I think it was very, very tight. And he probably did the right thing to try and take on that last man. And if he had have avoided the the challenge, basically, he was into the box there. So really, really good 
threat off the counter-attack. That used to be a big thing for Liverpool and even against West Ham in particular. I think I remember like two or three different games where we've actually scored off their corners and stuff. Mm. So it's nice to see that we have another player who brings that back to the team as well. How did Kurt Zuma not get booked there, though? I don't know. I thought this yellow card was for him, but it wasn't in the end. It was for for Dawson, but both of them should have been booked. I mean, Dawson should have been booked for the attempted foul, and then Zuma should have been booked for the actual foul. Should should we take also a second to note, I don't know if either of you saw it, that there was a plane with a banner flown above the game? No, no. What was it? It was it was aimed at Kurt Zuma. Oh, okay, excellent, excellent. We we won't quote it then, but uh, excellent. I, I need to know how much these planes cost because <laughs> you like, I, I saw I saw Carl Markham's tweet about about that plane with the banner, and um, I, all I could think of was like, how much has somebody paid to have that flown over the stadium? Like, does does this person own the plane? Is this just something they do as a hobby? I'm I'm curious now, genuinely curious to the uh, as to the price because uh, we could maybe sponsor one from Raw before the end of the year. Uh, aim that um, aim that uh, our man here in the middle, <laughs> in the roundy middle that he is. Uh, Carl, is that it for the first half? Anything else you want to point out, or will we get cracking into the second? Um, I just want to say that basically throughout, apart from that last five minutes or so where we did then start to lose a little bit of control in terms of uh, letting them play out a bit more directly, that first half, the midfield was nearly perfect for me, nearly perfect with what they did on and off the ball there. There were obviously a couple of little things like like you mentioned Trent Alexander-Arnold's um, sort of swiped volley there where he kind of span it up in the end. That was actually because of Henderson's set down to him, which was a little bit sloppy-like. So it was still fine. He still teed him up for the shot, but just a couple of little bits like that could have been better. But overall, the midfielders were really, really good. I thought Keita was like brilliant first half. Really, really mm. good. Quiet in terms of actual you know, impact in either thing, but actually just really, really good close off their counter-attacks like three, four times in the first half just by his positional work, just by closing off the passing lane. One really good recovery run. The pass for the goal over the defender towards Trent was just unbelievably good. Again, it won't go down as like assist. It's just a pass, but it was very, very good. Uh, Fabinho first half was really good. Henderson, I thought, first half with the combination play down that right-hand side was really good. He was overlapping Salah quite wide. Uh, which we saw right back at the start of the season and maybe not so much in the the, the middle third of the season from that right side at eight roll. Um, I just thought that the, the, the balance of it was very, very nice. And when they stopped being quite as much on the front foot, especially after half time, when they stopped closing down quite close to the forwards, when they stopped with the passes that was when our problem started when they started getting out from their half a little bit easier when they were able to send a few more players to to support the attacking line that was where we started to get the problems um but the first half at Orford the best part of Henderson's half Carl do you know what the best part of his half was the little touch around the corner no the the lovely little left-footed flick was great but he the second phase his second phase move in that when he made the break onto the left wing and then played a lovely ball back into an into a central area was a really he got his head up and rather than doing what he is prone to doing and slinging the ball into the box aimlessly he actually got his head up and considered what he needed to do and found the perfect pass i think it was fabinho moving on to the play that he found about 
10 yards out to their box. And then Fabinho, it was Fabinho, because Fabinho then played it on to, to Trent. And Trent had that cross in that led to a bit of a scramble. And the other great thing about Henderson's first half, there were none of those stupid clipped crosses to the back post. No, that came, in, that came for the, the second team. half. Yeah, he kept them for the second half. He <laughs> didn't, want to, didn't want to let us down. Didn't want to let us down. Didn't have any of those. He was on the ball a lot less in the first half as well. A lot of his runs were off ball. He was making, you know, decoy runs and he was... That's where you want him. You want him. Yeah, I tell you, I tell you a great half. I tell you a great half. I really did mm. overall. Like it was, it was a really good half. It's, it's with a couple of others. You'd have to say uh, it, it fell away a bit, but it was it wasn't just him. The form sort of fell away a little bit with one or two in the second half. I'd say uh, most of the front dropped four. off completely. Because yeah. he, he dropped was, off he was completely on and off the ball. A, he was almost playing it would in a front four in the first half. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. Naby and Fab, and then Henderson sort of wide right swapping with Mo and then in the second half it was like Mo Henderson and I thought Mane all dropped off I thought Diaz had a quieter second half and then sort of woke up again later on in the game but that front four intensity seemed to drop in the second half which enabled them to start coming more and more into the game 100% and sorry Carl sorry no just at half time again that, that, that midfield three Fabinho had a 93% pass completion rate. He'd misplaced three passes. Henderson yeah. had 97. He'd misplaced one. And Cage had a 100% pass completion rate. Like they, yeah. they were on the ball. They were proper on it. Like There were a couple of occasions where each of them did lose possession, like Cage tried to dribble and you know got tackled, that kind of thing. But basically, they were as, as close to perfect as you could ask them to be in that kind of a game. Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's not many games you wouldn't take that midfield going into, let's be honest. And the second half... Began quite badly for the Reds because on 47 minutes, and I think I'm going to you on this, Dave, um, it was a, a atypically bad sort of backwards header by Virgil, uh, which put the defence under a bit of pressure. Robbo did really well to get across uh, and block Bowen, who was through on goal. Um, and Robbo, for me, maybe on balance, I thought was our best operator uh, throughout the 90 minutes. I thought he was really, really solid. Uh, defensively really threatening going forward. I, I loved his performance today, I have to say. Trent has a half volley from distance um, on 49 minutes, but it's one of those token efforts that he directs properly to the top corner, but the keeper can catch it. Uh, so, you know, there's not massive threat there. Uh, Bowen had to go off then. Hard to tell what the injury was, I thought, uh, but he looked in serious pain. I thought I, I thought I'd noticed the eyes watering a little bit, which is never a good yeah. sign. Uh, they had him standing on one foot, and I so I wonder if it's a, like a foot injury. I didn't see what happened to him. They didn't show any replays. No, I wonder if he kicked the bottom of Andy Robertson's foot. Maybe some sort of a foot fracture or something. You wouldn't know, but he looked to be both in pain, unable to put his weight on it. You do wonder, really, because it took him about 579 minutes to get off the pitch. Uh, you do wonder what's going on there. They looked to be going to the near touchline and then went all the way back across. And, of course, you'd, you'd suspect time-wasting, but I think it was just to get directly to the bench rather than have to walk the length of the, of the pitch or the, sorry, the circumference of the pitch or whatever you, the, the correct word is. But anyway, things don't look great for him. Ready. 
Possibly, possibly that. Uh, but it, it, the lad looked in so much pain that I would question the sensible, uh, the sense behind that kind of a decision. But anyway, he did didn't look good. Ben Rama came on in 53, 57 after quite a nice flowing bit of football. Naby shot wide from distance. Um, some lovely play. Uh, high tempo football in 58 minutes from the Reds uh, led to nothing but still quite impressive they bring on Noble for Vlasic on 60 uh, and on 63 a tremendous bit of uh, breakaway football by Sadio uh, he played in Luis Diaz who shot just wide gorgeous switch ball that you know feature of Liverpool under Klopp because of Trent from Trent on 65 minutes he picks out Robbo that leads to an opportunity where on 66 Mo has a volley that's hit low but at the keeper and he follows that up uh, on 66 minutes again Robbo does brilliantly to break picks out Mo centrally and he hits another really tame low shot centrally and at the keeper uh, it's a little bit disappointing and we'll finish Dave uh, myself with yourself on this little uh, moment is 69 minutes uh, where there are two chances uh, for Lanzini, I think, to finish centrally after a Suchek cross. He takes it down nicely where he could have finished first time uh, to set himself with the shot. And then the shot is horrendous. He just sort of blows it over from, you know, great opportunity, hits it wildly over the bar. It is, if we're being honest, they have a fantastic opportunity to mug us uh, and take a point at least. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I genuinely don't know what he was thinking because he's normally such a composed player. But you know that that was the sort of third or fourth big, big opportunity that they'd had. And Trent, to his credit, obviously did brilliantly on the the Fornals one, and he does really well here as well because just the fact that he made. Lanzini take the touch and then try to reset himself it did I think play a part in Lanzini putting the ball as far over the bar as he did but there was there was just these consistent warning signs that you know don't get too comfortable here Liverpool now these are you know we're not going away these are the chances that we can create against you and you know like I said earlier they're, they're just they're a good football team that's it's as simple as that. They're a good football team and they will not have any fear of anybody. They've given most of the big sides a good game this year. They've beaten City. They've beaten United in the Cup. Uh, they beat Chelsea in the league and they beat us in the league. They're, they're just a good team and good teams create chances when you give them opportunities. You know, we, we allowed them to come back into the game with that little drop in tempo that we had in the second half and they, they came very close to punishing us. And Dave, I'll be back to you to wrap up with your final thoughts uh, next time out. And Carl, you and I will see the match through to the end. Because after that opportunity for uh, Lanzini, um, a great opportunity for Lanzini, a couple of minutes after that, 71, there were two separate attempts from Sadio, one after the other, both blocked. 73 minutes, Mo had a shot blocked. 
74 minutes Luis Diaz fired wide of the top corner he had instigated a really good attack kind of cut across goal and hit wide of the right hand top corner as you're looking at the goal and uh, you know that was uh, a really good response from us to that opportunity and again on 77 minutes some great stuff from Luis Diaz he found Mo in a central position uh, but again the shot was blocked we took on Jota for Mo Salah who wasn't best pleased to be going off um, don't think he could argue after his last couple of games, if we're being perfectly honest. Uh, 79 minutes, uh, there was a little bit of a Robo nibble, and then Nabi Keita with a fantastic uh, a bit of defensive cover to block because Antonio was released on the break down the right, and this was a very dangerous situation. We needed that Robo nibble. We needed Nabi to make it that fantastic uh, block um, uh, on Antonio on 79 minutes. There was a halfway dangerous Ben Rama cross after a fairly atrocious alley clearance straight into the middle of the park on 82 minutes. And I don't know what you were watching on, but I was watching on Sky and Jamie Carragher seemed to be desperate for West Ham to equalise. His pal certainly in commentary duty was. Uh, they had, uh, we had a little break on the 88 minutes. Jota was in a fantastic position. Uh, I think he had both uh, Sadio and Diaz inside him. He was right side and he failed to put the pass in that would have been a certain goal you'd have thought. 88 minutes, uh, the same man Jota picked up a yellow for taking out four nals in a, in a cynical fashion, fair play to him. We bring on Jimmy Milner on 89, and then they add five whole minutes. Uh, there's a handball by Zoom on 91 minutes. I'm not taking anything else. I've seen these ones given all the time. Yes, his hand is down by his side, but yes, his hand blocks the trajectory of the ball, whatever. Nothing given. 92 minutes, they bring on the kid Chester for four nals. 93, Sadio kicked the ball away and picked up a yellow for himself. 94, a lovely bit of play. Sadio and Diaz breaking. Jota fired wildly over, certainly so far, not offering what it was that he was supposed to offer, you'd imagine. Uh, and 95 minutes, a nice little bit of uh, uh, play by uh, Kloppo to introduce another sub on our behalf. He brings on Curtis that kind of kills the game completely or their momentum, especially when Curtis carries the ball up into the top left-hand corner. Uh, and that pretty much ends the game. It's there's a lot of incident there, Carl. We have to be honest. And uh, again, in the middle of all our attempts and pressure and dominance of possession, there are some really clear cut opportunities or you know direct uh, opportunities for them that we have to deal with. Yeah, and again, I think most of it stems from a lack of pressure on the wall higher upfield. I mean, in the first half, we were really, really good with the recycling of play. We were very good at getting two and three people around there. Uh, let's say it was over at the left back, then the centre back and the centre made ahead of them as well. We were very, very good in terms of cutting off the passing lanes. And that's yeah. how we had so much control of the game. And then later on, it was way too open. There was no real tempo to our possession. There was no real energy off the ball as well. And it was very easy for them to get out. And some of those were just direct balls into Antonio or into the channels. And they won a lot of set pieces off those. And then the other ones were the ones like that one you've just mentioned where Keita had to make that really good track back. And that was probably one of the most important ones along with Trent's clearance off the line. Um, these were quite close to really good goal scoring opportunities for them. Uh, I, I would still say mainly on the balance of the chances that they had, Liverpool's were better. You know, the 
the almost chances, like when Salah and Diaz couldn't quite get it over the line between them from like two yards out. These felt like bigger chances to me, even though they didn't necessarily get a shot away from them in the end. A lot of theirs were like quite hurried, quite under pressure, some last ditch behavior from us, but that's okay. That's, that's part of the reason that we play this high line because we have the players who do have the recovery pace. And like I said, right back at the beginning of the podcast, we were very, very aggressive today defensively Uh, back four and probably cater in particular were really, really on the front foot, really clever and important in terms of getting in front uh, for for little challenges or being very strong in the aerials for the for the centre back pairing in particular, there was one instance. I think it might have been on Antonio in the second half where Canate has basically run ahead of him and got his foot in and won the ball. Antonio falls down and Canate goes and goes to play on, but a uh, fleshy whistle bearer in the centre of the pitch has decided it's a free <laughs> kick, which and, and that's what I mean about. No end. But that's what I meant earlier on when I said you can't touch Antonio because he will go down. And because he's such a big guy, referees just immediately buy that he's been fouled. It's only, just... only Jimmy Miller can outdo him in that regard. And it's not because yes. Jimmy's big. It's just because Jimmy's Jimmy, uh, you know, in terms of fooling referees. Yeah, it, it, like it's a remarkable thing to watch. It really is. Carl, I'm going to come back to you in a minute to get your last thoughts, and Dave will get yours now um, in terms of wrapping this one up uh, and do it at the end, as usual, let people know what you've got coming up. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's nice to get three points from what I have dubbed the Julian Dix derby. Uh, others have other <laughs> ideas about what it should be. We have a, a thread going on Twitter with many, many illustrious names that played for both <laughs> clubs, the likes of Stuart Downing and Andy Carroll and Mike Marsh and David Burrows and uh, David James and, of course, Neil Ruddock. Did Stan play for them at one stage? Uh, no, no. I know he played for Villa. Did he not do he a little stint at West Ham? No, Island? I don't think he did. I, I don't think Stan would have gone down too well with Londoners. No. <laughs> um, but but Julian Dix for me just encompasses sort of everything about West Ham Football Club and also that era of Liverpool. And it's worth remembering whenever you're you know talking about Graham Souness, we should always remember, of course, first and foremost, the greatest midfielder we've ever had, and arguably the greatest midfielder Britain has ever produced. But also that he once bought Julian Dix and Neil Ruddock in the same calendar year deciding that they were the men to lead Liverpool forward. Um, but no, look, it, it's it's a good three points. Um, I, I think the first half was a lot better for us than the second half. I thought, I disagree with Carl. I think they have better chances. But it's almost, you look at the Bowen chance, you look at the Antonio chance, you look at the Fernals chance, and the Lanzini one, and it's almost like they had a little bit too much time. Like, they all had shots. They all had the opportunity to shoot and allowed themselves to get closed down. They all had plenty of time, space and opportunity and allowed themselves to get closed down. And if any one of them goes in, obviously we're having a very different conversation this evening, but huge credit to Trent on the Fornals one, huge credit to Robbo on the Bowen one and on the Antonio one. Because it's, it's obviously it's his tackle, and then Naby gets back brilliantly as well. And you know Trent again on the Lanzini one does really really well. So like Carl said, our defenders were really aggressive. They were very very brave. They were not afraid to put themselves in the line. I thought we had a number of good performances. I thought the left side 
once again was the better side for us. I thought Robbo, Naby, and Diaz were all were all excellent. I thought Trent had a good game. Henderson had a good first half and a poor-ish second half. Not a bad second half, but poor-ish compared to what it was the first half. And I just thought Salah was. I thought Salah was poor. I thought Salah was probably our worst player, and was almost kind of a negative impact at times, just because he seemed absolutely determined that he was going to score regardless of anything else. And um, hopefully he can shake that out of himself and and get back to doing what he does best, which is you know scoring twenty goals in ten games or whatever. But uh, all things considered, we'll take the win. We'll be happy with the win. They're a they're a top six side. I think they're fifth in the league at the moment. So anytime you can beat a team that's in that place in the league, you're going to be happy enough. And uh, we'll move on. And we've got bigger fish to fry now. We've got second leg against Inter coming up. We've got a title race to contend with. We've got the FA Cup and Nottingham Forest or Huddersfield to play. And uh, it's all looking very, very positive for the Reds, especially with one piece of silverware already in the bank. And if if Manchester United can do us a big favour tomorrow, I promise I won't say anything mean about Paul Pogba for at least 48 hours. Uh, That's my promise to all United fans. Uh, But um, no, look, (laughs) you're just going to be happy with three points. Um, Yeah, I'm on two-footed every day at 4pm, daily red every day at lunchtime. Uh, I may need a substitute to fill in against Inter. Uh, that's that's looking like it's unlikely for me. And um, yeah, I'm sure I'll be on something else during the week as well. There'll be there'll be a couple of scouts during the week as well. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Dave, for that. And uh, Carl, yourself and myself, just before you get started on your final thoughts, are back for Inter. Is that correct? I can't honestly remember. Might be. I think it's, <laughs> it's Harry. It it's Harry at the minute. Oh, okay. sorry, it is. It's Harry. It's, so I think it's, Carl yeah, wants I think to Harry, do it. Carl, Carl can do it. I think Harry might have two in a row, actually. And then, yeah, okay, that's that's fine. We'll work that out in the meantime. So, final thoughts from yourself, man, and uh, also do let folks know what's going on with you in the next few days. Yeah, kind of the same as we've said. You kind of just take these ones to get out there, take the points. We've closed the gap to three. We shouldn't forget that, you know, until tomorrow. Then uh, we've played the same number of games and it's just a three-point gap now after how, however big it was only a couple of months ago when people were saying it was done. It's not. It doesn't mean that it's going to be fi- uh, finishing our way. There's still got to be games like this ahead and the big game uh, against Man City, obviously, is, is still going to decide an awful lot. But we have a lot of optimism, a lot of players who are in really good form. We've got players outside what would be termed for many people the strongest 11 who are coming in and putting in really, really good performances. I mean, it's still early to say Luis Diaz is a start and 11 player. He's in the team, in the lineup at the minute because we've got a couple of injuries elsewhere over the last few weeks in attack. Um, it will be very, very interesting to see beyond this week, beyond Inter Milan, when we've got all five forwards fit, who does get picked for these quite important games that we've got coming up uh, in the attacking line in particular. And you've both mentioned Salah not being at his best today and not being at his best in the last couple of matches. Maybe he's one of the ones who'll come out just for one game or so and, and start rotating and resting one or two of them for the, for the running. And if that is the case, I think we should all be very excited because a, an angry Mo is, is, is a thing to behold at times when he comes back into form. So hopefully that is uh, there is going to be a spark for one or two of them coming up. And um, 
maybe this guy who has been quite the mid mid season revelation for us is going to be one of the ones to push to even more silverware. That will be something to look forward to across the rest of the season. That is absolutely for sure. And in terms of what you've got coming up, my friend, for the next couple of days, apart from the scouted pods, which Dave has mentioned, uh, probably one for Inter and one after that for who's up next, Brighton. Uh, what else have you got? Uh, I've got a piece for, if people want the European football stuff, it's on Napoli and Serie A, which uh, takes place on Sunday, so worth a read ahead of that game. Big one at the top of Serie A. Uh, there's also a Newcastle United piece on their resurgence and basically escaping from any kind of relegation fear whatsoever. The numbers behind their rise and what Eddie Howe has done for them. And probably I'll have a piece on Liverpool centre-backs from this game today and how uh, it's all looking very good at the back again for Liverpool, despite all this recent fear-mongering about the high line which has kept yet another clean sheet today if you have any sense you will be reading carl's writing you'll be listening to what dave is talking about on podcasts and just from a personal point of view can i just point out that we are three points behind manchester city and i i find it borderline disgusting the consistent media narrative that we are you know hunting them you know we are still in the hunt it's three points it's three fucking points that's all it is they play their city rivals their local rivals more they've got to play us it's three points level on games played we have a better goal difference like i don't understand and we have to play them why can't you believe if you can't believe you will never believe in anything so have a go and just lean into a bit of optimism for this because it's a wonderful wonderful time to be uh, following this club harry and i will be with you for both inter and for the game against uh, brighton which dave will join us for and someone else will be filling in for dave on inter on tuesday night so plenty of raw to come malby in the spot will be with you on monday you've heard dave hendrick you've heard carl matchett guy drinkle has been producing for us brilliantly as always i'm trev denny We'll speak to you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.